Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Hey, everybody. Dave Hodges here, host of The Common Sense Show. We are the show that is freeing America one enslaved mind at a time. We've got a really terrific show for you today. We have uh, Kevin Stockton on from the Epoch Times TV. And uh, we'll tell you all about Kevin here after we take care of some business. But you're not going to want to go away because we're going to talk about a topic here that does not get enough attention. And that's uh, ESG, what's going on with Wall Street. And uh, that's certainly been in current events lately here with the AGs getting involved. But uh, we'll explore that with Kevin as well. But first, I need to let you know, ladies and gentlemen, do you have your storable food? I'm growing concerned about the supply chain. I'm growing concerned about food availability, what's happening with the egg farms, the food inflation. So do you have your storable food? If you don't, I don't know how long this is going to be available to you, but right now, My Patriot Supply is about the only company it seems like that has not sold out to the uh, federal government, and uh, they have plenty of food. They deliver on time, and the prices are the lowest in the industry. Uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, they have lots of variety. So let me recommend that you go to foodwithdave.com for the details. That's foodwithdave.com. Additionally, ladies and gentlemen, we have a situation where we, um, we're concerned about uh, things that fly over our skies and whenever I hear that I think EMP. Now I don't think this latest deal with the Chinese or whoever is flying over us has anything to do with an EMP but it could and if it can violate our airspace that way I'm growing very concerned and by the way you'd say what would happen if the lights went out you'd have to scavenge for water and you'd need water filtration and we have the best filter out there the Alexa Pure Pro water filter ranked number one in the industry you can see the research at waterwithdave.com and we recommend you take a long look it's also on sale Limited supplies available. That's not a sales pitch. That's an actual, absolute, true statement. And do you have your filter? Well, if you don't, let me recommend you get it today. Go to waterwithdave.com. That's waterwithdave.com. Well, we're really uh, pleased and privileged to have Kevin Stockland on here. And uh, my screen just went blank here. Okay, here we go. And uh, Kevin has uh, done some really good work in the past. Uh, he covered the uh, mortgage debacle of 2008, which I'm sure a lot of us painfully remember. And uh, he's a film producer, a former investment banker, so he knows of what he speaks about the topics we're going to talk about today. He has a current film out right now that we'll discuss called The Shadow State. And it was released by the Epoch Times and is available for viewing on Epoch Times TV. And uh, Kevin, I want to welcome you to the show. It's always great to have people of your stature on. I really respect your uh, your employer. Uh, Epoch Times, I think, sets the standard for reporting about some of the chicanery that's going on inside our government. Uh, thanks, Dave, and I really appreciate you having me on. Well, you know, what made you take a look at ESG? Um, I, I wanted to just kind of set that out there because we don't give this much attention and we should be. Yeah, you know, the finance world uh, th- that I know, it's it can be uh, kind of an arcane world that people don't know very much about. A lot of it happens behind the scenes. It's got its own kind of language. Um, but this particular uh, industry, the ESG industry, uh, I felt was very important that people learn about this um, because it affects their lives so dramatically, um, not only with their, their investment money and their pension money, but uh, you know the price of energy that they pay, what they pay for food, uh, you know when, when they have to undergo uh, DEI re-education in their, in their corporate jobs and things like that. So um, I wanted people to be able to understand what this industry is, uh, how it works, who's driving it, and how it affects them personally. Yeah, well, it certainly is 
having a big effect. Uh, just for people who may not know what we're talking about, can you tell us what that acronym ESG stands for? Yeah, so uh, ESG is Environmental, Social, and Governance. It's an umbrella ideology that encompasses everything from climate change to uh, racial and economic equity worldwide. Uh, They even throw in things like gun control and abortion rights into the bucket. So, you know, that's what it is as an ideology. But it is also a, uh, an industry that has assets north of $50 trillion that are, they are able to use to arm twist corporations into going along with the agenda. Is this why we see corporations invoking policies along the lines of climate change mitigation that are harmful to their bottom line? Yes. So this is the reason, for example, that um, Exxon was forced to put climate change activists on their board, um, which will discourage them from further uh, fossil fuel development and production. Um, It's also why companies take very strange ideological positions. So you can look at a company like like Disney that, um, you know, has made its reputation on producing family-friendly and and child-friendly entertainment. Um, They have now taken a political position fighting parents' rights laws um, and in favor, Disney in favor of sex ed for kids in in grades kindergarten through third grade. Uh, They've uh, revealed that they uh, want to sexualize their content for children. They call it their uh, not-so-secret gay agenda. And more recently, they've produced a children's program that promotes critical race theory. So uh, this obviously might not be a good decision from a a profitability or a shareholder's point of view. A lot of uh, conservative families or just parents kind of hate this, um, but they're doing it anyway, and they're not doing it to please their shareholders. They're not doing it for profitability. They're not doing it for their customers or people who would subscribe to Disney+. Plus. They're doing it to up their ESG scores and to um, basically get in line with this ESG agenda. That is just mind-boggling, though, that these uh, corporations will almost self-destruct. Are they just? Do you, I, I know it's hard to get in the minds of uh, other people, but if I were a stockholder in a corporation that was self-destructing to satisfy ESG, I, I would look for a new CEO and I would say, "Hey, we're here for profits. We're, we're not here to play social games." Uh, I mean, where is that self-defense mechanism that you would expect to see on Wall Street that's been so strong since its inception? Yeah, well, this is starting to happen. So we have seen a revolt of Disney shareholders. Um, they did fire Bob Chapek, who was their CEO, who, who decided to you know take on these causes. Unfortunately, they replaced him with Bob Iger, who's just as much uh, of an ideologue as his predecessor, and their content seems to be moving forward in the same direction. But you, they are now starting to experience pressure from shareholders because their stock is one of the worst performing stocks, uh, even the horrible year that the S&P 500 has had. They've managed to be about twice as bad in terms of their share price performance. And this creates an opportunity. Now there's blood in the water. Shareholders can start to come in, purchase these shares at a discounted price, and and try to force uh, some changes on management. So that that pushback is starting to happen. Uh, A recent survey by KPMG of CEOs found that uh, 50% of them said that they were now putting their ESG initiatives on pause. Um, given the recession and, and things like that. Having said that, there are some very strong forces that uh, want to double down on this ESG movement, both in the Biden administration and in uh, on Wall Street. And so th- there's no question that this conflict is going to heat up in 2023 and beyond, but it's not clear who's going to get the upper hand. Yeah, I, I think it's an issue to be decided still, but I don't think... Uh BlackRock and these other associated companies have yet to feel the wrath of the American people. I think that the worst for them is still ahead as people discover what's going on. And and uh, as much as it's kept out of the media, the mainstream media, uh, there is becoming a general awareness of this now. Uh, I, I, I want to ask you, too, about something that I have read about and is it related to what we're talking about? And that's regard to the action of several uh, state attorneys general who um, have uh, looked into and have taken some action against ESG. Can you talk about that? 
Yeah, well, the states have been, some states have been pushing back pretty dramatically on this. You know, speaking of BlackRock, um, they, they were just testifying uh, next to State Street uh, in front of the the Texas State Senate in December. And, of course, uh, you know, before the Texas senators uh, who were threatening to boycott them, um, they're saying, oh, we don't do any of this stuff. You know, we, we certainly don't use our, our shareholding power to influence any company. Um, but they couldn't give a straight answer when asked, well, what about these statements on your website? What about things that uh, Larry Fink, BlackRock CEO, has said? Um, so, you know, states are pushing back and, and these asset managers are beginning to backpedal a little bit. Having said that, uh, 14 uh, blue state attorney generals have now written letters and also comptrollers who control their pension money uh, have written letters saying we demand that BlackRock enforce an ESG agenda on companies whose shares they own. So t- by taking on a political position, a lot of these uh, financial companies and asset managers and, and woke banks are finding themselves now caught in the middle between red states and blue states, um, you know, because that's what happens when you wade into politics. That's what Disney learned. Well, yeah, I I just, like I said, I think the avalanche in reverse has not yet occurred, and I think that Florida's kind of setting the trend, but I think the, the worst for these people is to come as people gain awareness because people are going to they're going to revolt by where they spend their money uh, have you seen a precipitous decline in disney profits uh, well, that certainly happened, and they certainly fell short on their subscribers to Disney Plus. I think a lot of people are, are they don't trust them anymore. Uh, that you can, you know, let your kids sit down in front of the Disney Channel and be comfortable with what they're going to be exposed to, whether it's sexual content or political content or whatever. You know, a lot of parents are starting to question, hey, is this appropriate for for my little child to be watching this stuff? So the trust has definitely, um, you know, been eroding in that sense. Um, but uh, as I said, you know, we, we, we don't see Disney backing off of that yet. You know, we see them, them doubling down on, on this sort of content. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. It's, it's like they're not getting the message. Um, when I take a 30,000-foot view of this, and I wanted to get your reaction to this since you're closer to it than I am, I almost see what I would describe as a Maoist type of cultural revolution going on, and ESG is spearheading a lot of it. How do you react to that? Yeah, you know, at the core of this movement is this concept of central planning, and, um, you know, central planning is is not new to economics. You know, the Soviets certainly tried it. Uh, Certainly the Chinese did. You know, that brought us wonderful things like collective farming that caused, you know, the, the starvation of tens of millions. But that that's at the core what the ideology is, is that, you know, this should be a, a economics by committee. And whether that's at the World Economic Forum in Davos or corporate boardrooms or the UN or whatever, you know, that we can get the elites of the world together, you know, corporate CEOs, politicians, and then billionaires like Bill Gates and Michael Bloomberg and, and um, people like this, and and we can decide uh, what the energy policy should be. We can decide what's going to be produced, whether it's fossil fuels or wind and solar. We can even decide things like what you drive. Um, we're you know we're starting to see bans on internal com- combustion engines. We can decide even what you eat. So they don't like beef, for example. It emits too much cows emits you know too much CO2. And so the view is, well, you know, we can get our protein from insects and fungi. And so that's being pushed. And people like Bill Gates are investing heavily in these companies that make these alternative synthetic meats that that we're supposed to eat. Bill Gates is also currently the largest owner of of, uh, farming land in the United States. And there's been a huge push among these huge investment funds to buy up farmland even as the Biden administration is putting all these new regulations on small farmers, whether it's through the EPA or through the SEC, forcing them to do climate audits of of their farms, um, that that is driving many of them to the brink, not to mention the cost of fertilizer and diesel fuel. Uh, And then, you know, we have investment funds and wealthy people that are able to kind of front-run these policies and purchase uh, farmland and and, um, profit in that way. Do you have an opinion 
I mean, I, I understand why they want to do central planning. I mean, we're ultimately dealing with uh, extreme socialism. But why do they care so much about uh, indoctrination of kids to certain ideologies that seem to be almost irrespective of, of economic uh, their economic plans? Uh, what is the interest in controlling families and what's taught and what's acceptable? Yeah, you know, they, they always go after the kids, and this is this is core to the ideology, again, whether it's, you know, the Soviets or the National Socialists or the fascists, you know, they, they know that the future is with children. Um, the, the UN has its uh, 17 Sustainable Development Goals, they call them SDGs, and it runs the gamut from, you know, health to education to uh, climate justice to equity. Um, and this has now found its way into the curriculum of most schools, public and private, in the United States through this concept called social and emotional learning. And you can just go to, I mean, you don't have to take my word for it. You can go to these sites. You can look at, go to UNESCO, and, um, and you can see, you know, SEL as a path to uh, UN SDGs, and that's what they're pushing on children. So um, it's... ESG is the business component of the, this this whole movement. Um, social. We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts to help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here. And we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TV. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee. Did you know that the World Economic Forum now, they, in the last meeting they convened, they actually had a water board there with water experts, and they tell us our water is in danger and they have to take control of our water. Does that bother anybody? I'm sure it does. And I begin thinking right now about water safety. We already know there's lead in the water, chemicals in the water. A lot of it's not safe to drink. But we have the answer for you. It's called the Alexa Pure Pro Water Filter. It's the best there is. And scientifically, they leave nothing to doubt as they publish their research at waterwithdave.com. And it's my choice for water filtration. Gravity powered. It reduces 206 contaminants. It targets heavy metals, fluoride, chlorine, and viruses. It is the best there is in the business. And you can read all the research on this simply by going to water. With Dave.com, that's waterwithdave.com. Save $80 for a short time. Emotional learning is the educational component, and then the political component is all the laws and bans and subsidies that we're seeing coming at the government level. Okay, that, that does make a lot of sense, but uh, they just seem to be spending an inordinate amount of time to indoctrinate kids. But I look at this, and I'm an empty nester now, but I do have nephews and nieces that concern me about what they're getting, and their parents are hypervigilant to this as well. And uh, the, the homeschool movement is growing, uh, you know, alternative schools that aren't teaching this, uh, they're growing. I, what did I hear? Like, public schools have 400,000 less students now than they did before COVID. Um, it, it's kind of like people are voting with their feet. Uh, I know in Germany they outlawed homeschooling. Do you think we're going to see something along those lines to force compliance? Uh, there, there's definitely a, a movement to do that, and uh, there are a lot of 
folks in the Board of Ed or whatnot that, that want to outlaw homeschooling. Um, the fact is parents seem to feel like they can escape you know, social-emotional learning and, and CRT by taking their kids to private schools, and that's generally not the case. Um, those schools are going to teach you know, a lot of the same content, and they certainly have social-emotional learning programs as well in private schools. So y- your option is to really take your kids out and homeschool them, and um, you know, this is something that the bureaucrats do not like one bit, and, and you know, if it were possible to outlaw it, I'm sure they would. Um, so, you know, I think you are going to see more movement and more pressure on uh, that being banned, or alternatively, to enforce the same curricula on homeschooling, you know, to in order to get approval for it that you would get in the public schools. Yeah, I, I completely get that. Couple concerns I have though about their programs. Um, there are local laws governing what you can present to kids. And, and it seems to me, and I'm a former educator, and I've taught everything from high school to postgraduate. And, and so what I'm wondering here is how do they escape the laws of child abuse, pornography uh, in the schools? Because there are clear statutes that prevent some of the reading materials I've seen exposed in school libraries and school curriculum. Uh, yes. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's the letter of the law and then there's how it's enforced. So, um, we live in Tennessee and there's laws against, uh, teaching CRT and laws against sexual content. But, you know, when something appears in, in the library that's inappropriate for kids because of its sexual content or whatever, you know, that's a fight that then parents have to, first of all, they have to discover it. And then second of all, you know, they have to take that fight up to either the, the county or the town or the state level. Um, and that takes time and it takes resources. So, um, you know, there, there, there's the letter of the law, but, you know, enforcement is, is another question. And in addition, you know, the teaching colleges which are producing these teachers are uh, uniformly on board with the progressive agenda. So the teachers that are in the classrooms, you know, we keep seeing these, you know, videos getting exposed yeah. on YouTube or, or whatever. You know, it keeps popping up because the people that are actually doing the teaching in some cases are on board with this ideology. And, and I don't want to to badmouth teachers. Um, you know, we've been very, very happy with the teachers that have been teaching, you know, our, our son. Um, and, and they've just been, been wonderful. Um, so I like to think it's the exception rather than the rule. But there's enough of it that just keeps popping up that, you know, you have to think that there's a pattern here. How do uh, the uh, social engineers, so to speak, how do they get the private schools, particularly the Christian schools, to go along with this? Yeah, you know, it's a good question. I mean, you know, if, if you're in a state like New York or California, um, I don't think it's, it's all that difficult. But, you know, even in Tennessee, um, we have an all-girls school here that created a scandal because they basically said that they were going to throw their door open to anyone who identified as female. And, um, you know, parents pushed back against that, and then there was some backpedaling. But who knows what the actual policy is, you know, when all the dust settles. So, you know, part of it is that you have administrators who who kind of believe in this ideology. They, They came up through that system. And then, you know, part of it is that there, there are certainly places where parents really want this, that they believe in this ideology and they want their kids schooled in it. So it's, it's some combination of those things, I think. I tell you, you have to wonder about the parents that would think this is okay because first graders aren't ready to be sexualized in the way that I see it happening. Uh, one of the things that I've seen, and I wanted to get your reaction to how common you think this is, uh, I interviewed telephonically someone named Sharona Bishop. She lives in Colorado, and she was going around to various school boards uh, supporting parents and teaching them how to protest the implementation of these kinds of ESG programs. And uh, the FBI came to her home one they unannounced, they did not have a warrant, they kicked the door down, they put guns to everyone's head, they manhandled her teenage daughter, and they never produced a valid warrant, and they seized all their electronics. I mean, just total tyranny. She broke no law. She was engaged in completely protected activity by, under the Constitution. Uh, how common is this to quell the rebellion against what's happening in the schools? 
Yeah, I mean, we all know about the uh, the scandal with uh, the FBI targeting parents um, mm-hmm. for protesting at, at school board meetings. Um, and that seems to have gone quiet, but I'm not sure that it's really stopped. So um, it, it, it's hard to really comprehend how um, our law enforcement, our federal law enforcement, could take a position like this, but they seem to be. Um, and, you know, and then there's a whole industry supporting it as well. It's you know all this ed tech that um, you know companies. I mean, uh, Merrick Garland's son-in-law is one of the founders of one of these ed tech companies. Is that Panorama Education? Yeah, exactly. Okay. That that and um, you know, it's not only that they are uh, indoctrinating the kids and the ideology through you know video gaming and curricula and things like this, but it's this endless surveying of kids that's being done in the schools. You know, about very personal issues, your your sexual preferences, your family's beliefs, and things like this. You know, all this data is now being collected on our children, and the question you know has been raised: Well, what for? You know, are we are we creating social credit scores for our kids while they're still children? Are there answers, their answers to these surveys? Are they going to follow them through school? Will they determine if they can get into the best colleges? Will they be used for employment? So, you know, just this incredible data collection and, and surveying of our children in the schools, um, you know, there's a whole industry behind that, that that's profiting and, um, you know, again, this is all being supported by the World Economic Forum and, and the UN. Yeah, I want to get to the WEF in a second, but I, I, as you talk, it reminds me of something that I was involved in fighting against around 15 years ago. And it was a program called Teen Screen that originated at Yale University with Lori Flynn. Are you familiar with that program? I'm not. Yeah, just real briefly here, um, and for the listeners, too, this isn't the first time they've tried indoctrination and profiling of students, but they did it with Big Pharma back in 2008. And uh, and my audience knows this, but Kevin, just so you know, I have a little bit of background in mental health. I used to be a therapist and uh, uh, before I moved into college teaching. And, and, and i got to tell you, this was so inappropriate. I actually gave testimony on this at the Arizona State Legislature where I live. And what they were doing is they would come in with these tests to diagnose basically social disorders, emotional and social disorders, and the tests had 80% false positives in them, and they were putting kids on psychotropic medication administered at school, and they didn't have to notify the parents. And the program actually penetrated into 43 states, not every district, but they had a presence in 43 states. And this is why I testified to Arizona to get it stopped. But this is what you're reminding me of when you're talking about this profiling of students along their their belief systems with regard to sex and politics and so forth. I look for Big Pharma to jump into this too and kind of reinvigorate Teen Screen uh, so they can make profits off, off kids. Of course, they're doing it right now with the vaccines, trying to make it mandatory in schools. But, uh, but I look for them to do a return to Teen Screen. It's like these people never give up. Yeah, you know, the assumption behind the whole social-emotional learning program that's embedded in all of these public school curriculums is that all of our children uh, need psychological counseling. Exactly. And, and, and they need it from the school. They need it from their teachers and they need it from school counselors. But somehow they're the ones who are qualified to do this. And they are not. And they are not, Kevin. And they are not. And, this, and that the values have to be imposed by the school, not the parents. And in fact, if you look at what they call the the SEL uh, wheel, the ideological wheel, you know, at the core are school counselors and then teachers. Parents are somewhere out on the third periphery uh, in terms of of their role in all of this. So it really is an effort by the state to take over uh, the, the teaching of values to children. Yeah, well, it was it Woodrow Wilson once said, give me a generation of young boys and I'll change society. And it looks like we're doing that with all children. Um, I want to go to the WEF a little bit. This is an organization that both angers me and frightens me to the nth degree. And the thing that angers me the most is how much buy-in they get from American politicians that train in programs like the Young Global Leaders Program. Let's talk about the WEF and its relationship with ESG. 
Yes. Yeah, so the WEF signed a strategic partnership with the United Nations to um, to push the Sustainable Development Goals, and they do that in the form of ESG. So ESG was a concept that was originally developed out of the United Nations um, back in 2005, and again, it, it, it's the business component of how do we push our SDG agenda uh, on the world, um, and so the F. The World Economic Forum has been very much on board with this, and you know, very key players in the corporate sector, whether that's Larry Fink at BlackRock or uh, you know Brian Moynihan, the CEO of Bank of America. Um, you know, they are, have also entered into partnerships with the World Economic Forum to push this agenda. You know, you have to give them credit. This has been a very clever movement because what they realized was we have tremendous leverage in the financial system. If we, the UN through the WEF, etc., if we can uh, get control of the financial system, we can control any industry in the world that we want to because they all rely on capital. And we can even control people. And, and if you want a demonstration of that, um, just look at how they were able to shut down the truckers' protests in Canada, right? How do they do that? They shut down their bank accounts. They froze their access to their own money. And that stopped those protests overnight. Suddenly they had no food, they had no money, they couldn't spend anything, they couldn't buy anything. Um, so they do, were able to do all this through the financial system. So this has kind of been the genius of the ESG movement, just realizing the leverage that they have if they can get the reins of the, the financial system you know, under their control. Is the CBDC's concept, is that the next stage in this control? Yeah, you know, that's in the works and that, that seems to be happening even though no, no, uh, individuals seem to want it. Only governments seem to want it. But currently, a majority of the world's governments are now either beta testing or moving forward in some capacity to establish a central bank digital currency. And what this would be is, you know, rather than have your money be, um, you know, what's called fiat currency and it's, you know, cash or deposits in a bank account, um, our currency would then be issued directly by a central bank and we would have wallets. We'd have, you know, wallets that we can keep in apps on our phone or something like this. Um, but it allows the government not only to have complete access to the information of your spending habits, but even to potentially control them. Um, so this uh, central bank digital currency could be programmed and it could say, well, you know, we don't want you spending money on uh, gasoline for your car or, or we'll set caps of how much you can spend per month or we don't want you spending money on firearms or ammunition or whatever. So, you know, the CBDC is not going to be um, usable for that sort of thing. They could also use it for monetary policy. So, for example, you could apply negative interest rates to a CBDC, a CBDC which you can't do to cash or bank deposits. And what that would be is if um, they're basically deducting a percentage, a negative interest rate, every week or every month. And so if they do a stimulus program, for example, this would really force you to spend that money versus saving it and investing it because you know that a certain percentage of it is just going to evaporate you know, according to this negative interest rate policy. So it gives governments a tremendous amount of control over the population that they don't currently have with uh, cash and, and bank deposits. What about when people seek alternative forms of, uh, uh, well, let's put it this way, they convert their bank account, for example, to gold, just as an example. Uh, what do you anticipate that the uh, globalists will try to do to circumvent that? Yeah, you know, you can certainly do that. And there's uh, been, you know, cryptocurrencies are, are also, you know, an attempted response. I think you're going to see a lot more regulation in that space. Um, you know, and people can do that to some extent, but you, you can't go to a grocery store and pay with gold. You know, your, your day-to-day living um, has to have a, a currency attached to it. And so, you know, people, I think, can step out of the system a little. The Common Sense Show is proud to be able to bring you some very special deals for MyPillow. For example, they've got half off MyPillow bed sheets, more than half off their slippers, their sandals, their mattresses, their topper covers, women's lingerie. Now, they have extremely great products, as you all know. Ladies and gentlemen, right now go to MyPillow.com backslash Hodges. Use the coupon code Hodges to take advantage of these great opportunities. MyPillow.com backslash Hodges, coupon code Hodges. A little bit. 
but fundamentally you really can't uh, there's I, it's probably more than 95% of the people in the US right now that have some sort of bank account and banking relationship and you just can't exist without that you can't buy anything you can't receive payments you can't get you know salary payments or anything so um, it's going to be very hard to get outside of this system with gold or crypto or anything else how about a hybrid approach uh, you keep some in gold and silver and other investments and uh, you play in the system as much as you have to to spend to, to pay your bills yeah, and it's probably a wise investment strategy. I, I don't think we've seen the end of inflation. There's a lot of predictions that it's it's going to escalate again in the coming years. So people are looking for, you know, a currency is two things. It's a medium of exchange and it's a store of value. And, uh, you know, we're losing its function as a store of value with, with the inflation that we're experiencing right now. So as an investment strategy... People are looking for real things. They're, you know, can I invest in gold? Can I invest in, as you say, you know, commodities and and metals or land, real estate, you know, something physical that I that I can hold. The other thing that is in, an interesting trend with banking and, and finance is that um, people are looking to alternatives to the big Wall Street banks. And the reason is that uh, these banks, you know, not only are often following these ESG policies, but they're also assisting the government in surveillance. We saw on, on January 6th, uh, you know, after the, the, the riots at the Capitol, Bank of America uh, data mined their customers' accounts to hand over information to the FBI, who traveled near D.C., who might have purchased firearms in the last two weeks. Um, none of this, they had. Uh, they did not have a warrant for any of this, highly illegal, you know, according to our Constitution, but they did it anyway. And um, so I think a lot of people are looking at alternatives. You know, should I bank with a, a local savings and loan? Should I bank with a local community bank that, that may have values closer to mine? And... and you know, you'd asked earlier, um, you know, about people making choices. We may be seeing a lot of companies or a lot of industries kind of divide themselves between red companies and blue companies. You know, if people don't want to be exposed to content on Disney, there are alternative companies that are springing up that are producing, you know, content for children that doesn't have the political bias. You know, banking may be going that way. We're seeing publishing books, you know, publishing companies that are, you know, being set up to, to produce, um, you know, books for, for conservative parents, kids' books. We have a, a, a conservative um, phone company, Patriot Mobile. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, uh, increasingly, I think we are seeing choices now coming up and a huge opportunity for entrepreneurs to to start to serve this segment of the population that's being alienated. Yeah, I, I think you're right on the money. You're almost describing what I would label as a, a parallel society. Strangely, yes. I, I think we may be heading that way to some extent, and there's a huge economic cost to that. It's just a bizarre way for an economy to be run. But, um, you know, that, that may be happening. And we are seeing uh, a lot of red states boycott um, woke banks and woke investment managers, whether that's BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, you know, Bank of America, Citibank, um, West Virginia, Florida, Texas, Missouri, um, you know, they are starting to step up and say we're not going to do business with these banks and, and looking for alternative financial companies to deal with. Yeah, that's only going to work for so long, in my humble opinion, Kevin. I'm from uh, Maricopa County. Do I need to say any more about elections? And, uh, right. <laughs> and in fact, I was deeply involved in investigating election fraud in 2020 and again in 2022. And, uh, it, it's, what's interesting to me is this is how far the infiltration has gone into America. Uh, I know that, uh, for example, Mitch McConnell at the national level, uh, Kevin, and, uh, McCarthy to some degree and also Rona McDaniel the RNC chair and then you go down to Maricopa County former student of mine Bill Gates not that Bill Gates but the Bill Gates that was the chairman of uh, the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors that led that debacle of an election where 60% of the machines failed in Republican districts on opening and the county clerk and recorder who's also a Republican name only uh, Mark Reischer or Stephen Reischer these two have a pack Republicans to conspire to work against 
America First candidates like Carrie Lake. And Mitch McConnell, we know, pulled funding from eight senatorial races because he deemed that they were America First candidates. Uh, uh, I, I don't think it'll be long in a parallel society to where you go in and you fix a few elections, you know, pad the campaigns of some people, and you'll get laws passed against parallel societies. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that they don't need to uh, do that so widespread. There, There's probably just a, key, a few key exactly. jurisdictions um, that, that you need to really influence to, to sway things your way, as, as divided as the American population is today. So when you look at this, too, and, and you see people who may want to establish a parallel society to keep their moral head above water, and then they get legislated against, and they don't feel their vote matters, where does this end? Uh, do you see America totally capitulating to this uh, because the other side owns the uh, pressure points of power? Uh, you know, it's it's a it's a really tough thing to try to predict. Um, you know, in support of the ESG industry, you have most Western governments, uh, certainly virtually all of Europe. Uh, now the United States under the Biden administration. Um, as I mentioned, you have uh, more than $50 trillion in investment assets. That's you know our pension money, our savings, our investment money that's being used for these purposes. And at, currently you have most of corporate America behind it. That's a pretty formidable uh, opponent for anyone who, who wants to, to stand up. Now, having said that, there have been, uh, there's been a good bit of pushback. So Sri Lanka is kind of one of the most extreme cases of a country that actually followed this agenda. They, they banned the import of synthetic fertilizers because that's what the UN and the WEF says you need to do to be green. Uh, immediately they had a famine and, uh, that government was overthrown and forced out of the country. You know, you saw governments go conservative in Italy and Sweden, um, in response to a lot of this. And, um, you know, you are seeing pushback at, at the state level uh, here in the U.S. because people are starting to see the effects of this. The, the problem with central planning is that inevitably it leads to shortage, it leads to inflation, and it leads to a decline in people's living standards. And we're seeing that already. We're seeing shortages in the most basic things, you know, fuel for heating, for transportation, for manufacturing. We're seeing food prices go through the roof because farmers rely on diesel fuel and and synthetic fertilizers that are derived from natural gas. So people are starting to suffer on a personal level. It's not just theoretical anymore. And the question is, you know, at what point do people get so fed up that, that the system gets popular pushback? Now, I personally thought that might have happened at the midterms, um, and I was surprised to see that it didn't. Um, there, I think there's a little bit of a Stockholm syndrome going on here where people, you know, fall in love with their tormentors. And um, so a lot of people seem to be happy to continue down this path, but I think it's only going to get worse. It's only going to be more of the same and more inflation and more shortages. And... Um, you know, either people are going to just say, oh, you know, I accept this, this is my new reality, um, or, or they're going to say we've had it, and they're going to start pushing back. Everyone's going to have a breaking point, but I think the universal breaking point is when you can't feed your kids, uh, and, and there's no hope for the future. Hope is taken away. And that's when I think... See, you know, people like you and I, we're having a legitimate civilized discussion about this, and maybe we'll get into strategies that might help people counter. But uh, to the great unwashed that is ignorant of politics and doesn't pay attention, I think they're going to go from zero to 60 very quickly in terms of the anger and the violence quotient. I think they're the ones that will be in the streets because uh, they won't have progressively gone about a systematic solution. Um, where do you see this ending up, though? Do, do you see widespread civil disobedience to begin with? Uh, you know, it's. Uh, I, I hope not. Um, the the problem with this the ESG system is none of us have a vote in it. We're all disenfranchised. Mm-hmm. We don't have a say. Nothing in this movement says uh, you know we should we should ask people what they want or what consumers want or, or that anyone should have a vote in it. It's all decided by elites. And the problem is that the more that you disenfranchise people and push them outside the system, the less they trust the system, the less they believe in it, and the less that they're going to support it. So, um, you know, I hope that this gets resolved at the ballot box. I, I, I hope 
even though there's no indication that there may be a reversal of some of these policies that we start to realize how much damage we're doing to ourselves by handicapping our own energy and food industries in the United States, and, and we do a 180-degree turn at the, at the federal level. But um, there's there's no sign of that yet. No, and it won't be with the ruling party. I think they're totally on board with... Um uh, you know, one of the things I'm wondering, too, and this is more of a global type of question, but not everyone's on board with this uh, incoming digital, which really will force everyone to comply. Um, and it's the gold-backed nations, and that seems to be spreading. Um, is this a, Do you see this as a resistance to, the, to Davos and the World Economic Forum? or uh, how, do you, how do you view the gold movement among nations now? Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's that, and it's just people just trying to, to preserve their savings. Um, you know, it's people looking for alternatives to these currencies. You know, the, the, the fact that we can inflate away the value of the dollar to the extent that we have, it just destroys people's savings. And I think people are desperate for anywhere to, to kind of put their, their savings so that they can preserve their, their, their lifestyle and, and to, to be able to retire and, and, and have a, a comfortable future. So, um, you know, I think that's part of it. And, and, you know, part of it is also is ideological. But, um, you know, what we've seen just in terms of the loss of people's savings and standard of living in the United States is stunning, but it's it's multiples worse than that outside of the U.S. We're blessed here with uh, energy abundance and food abundance. So what we experience here is a fraction of what the rest of the world is, is experiencing. Well, until we're forced to eat bugs. How do you view that topic? It's very controversial. Yeah, um, you know, I'm not a fan of doing that. It's interesting that, um, you know, this is an industry that, that the insiders, you know, I mentioned Bill Gates, but that they're plowing so much money into these companies that make these alternative synthetic foods. But in, in Australia, they're actually putting bugs into school lunches. So again, you know, trying to get the children used to this um, so that it can become normalized. Uh, so it's another example of them, you know, targeting the young. And I had asked early on as a parent, you know, why do we need to do this to kids in elementary school? Why can't you introduce these programs in high school or college? And they said, well, by, by that point, they're too critical. You know, they, they won't accept it the same way that little kids do. So the whole plan is really to, to uh, get to little minds before they're able to think for themselves and indoctrinate them in that way. Don't, don't let them become, you know, smart enough to actually think critically about what you're telling them. So, yeah, so they're, you know, they're trying to get uh, Australian kids now. That's part of their school lunches, eat the bugs. And um, I wouldn't be surprised to see it in the U.S. at some point. I can't believe parents actually would permit their kids to go along with this. Yeah, uh, I, I also am baffled by that as well. Um, you know, I, I know that the uh, demand among parents for the vaccines has been plummeting, uh, particularly when it comes to giving it to their kids. But, you know, the CDC is now pushing it. That's part of the, the vaccine regimen for kids, uh, according to our federal government. But I think a lot of parents are saying, well, wait a minute, uh, this is still kind of at the experimental stage and, and this whole mRNA technology, and, and our kids aren't getting sick anyway to begin with. Um, but, you know, uh, again, there's, there's also parents on the other side that feel like that this is a good thing, and, and they, they, they believe in these causes, and they, and they want their kids to be, to be a part of the solution. So there's parents on, on both sides. My eyes tell me that the parents that are compliant with these uh, big pharma demands uh, are in the minority, the, the growing minority. Um, I think people have seen through a lot of this now. Now we have uh, data that's out that's readily available that talked about the fallacies of the programs that we tried to implement to fight COVID. And uh, that's why I, I, I think they just have a growing problem. But, you know, if they come in with the digital, Kevin, uh, and they control your bank account, they can control you. They can take away your choice. Yes. If the U.S. implements a central bank digital currency, then I think uh, we're in a different world. Um, there's no coming back from that. And, um, 
you know, that, as I said, that there does not seem to be any demand whatsoever among the population. Nobody wants this. This is not a push that's coming from consumers. By all statistics, most people have bank accounts. They're, they're more or less happy with the, their bank arrangements. They can make payments on their credit cards or pay however they want, and it works. So there is absolutely no demand among the population for a central bank digital currency. It's only government officials that want this. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's going to come a time when the irresistible force meets the immovable object, and uh, we're going to see conflict come out in some unpredictable way at this time. You know, there's a, a lot that I'm hearing about and seeing with regard to Elon Musk and his tensions with Apple Computer and, and really kind of his tensions with the brain trust of the World Economic Forum. What's going on there? Uh, yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting to watch this space. So um, you know he's he's definitely had a little bit of a conflict with Apple, and it's you know part of it seems to be he's he's been tweeting about how they're not being fair to the app creators and and you know charging them too much in fees and whatnot. But um, you know here here's kind of an example. So when you look at the ESG rating system, so Standard and Poor's is a company that rates all these companies according to their compliance with ESG and they all get a score between 0 and 100 for how compliant they are so General Motors for example who says that they are going to go 100% EVs they get a score of a 72 which is about as high as you can get because there's always room for improvement with your ESG behavior um, on the other hand um, Tesla which actually makes electric cars they're a lowly 38 score and one of the lowest scores given out uh, as far as ESG compliance goes to Twitter who got a, who got a 14 so um, you know you can see the evidence right there that um, e Elon Musk's views are not particularly being favored by the ESG industry and you know I don't want to portray him as a, as a savior or, or anything else you know he's an entrepreneur and he's you know doing what 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 makes a good profit and what he believes in but he has stood up for free speech and this is something that the tech community absolutely does not like whether that's Apple or Google or whoever you know it re reminds me of the situation with Parler who tried to set up an alternative to YouTube and said that they were not going to uh, take down conservative content and um, they, that site was shut down by Apple and Amazon and Google so this shows you the power of the big tech monopolies to control the narrative in the United States today yeah that's a very good but that's an outstanding point there that kind of blends into what you're doing on your work with uh, the Shadow State documentary and uh, Let's take some of what we've talked about here and, and uh, tell, tell the audience uh, if they go watch your documentary, The Shadow State, uh, what kinds of topics do you cover? Yeah, so uh, what we want to do, what we did through the documentary was to um, show the architecture of the ESG system and how it works, um, how they're able to gain control over uh, corporate America. Um, and, and how it affects you. But one of the other themes that we look at uh, is equally important, and this is what happens when you get this, this partnership between uh, the government and the private sector. So one of the things that comes out of this ESG movement is this devil's bargain between the government and corporations. And government can support corporations, it can support them through subsidies, it can support them through looking the other way on tech monopolies, it can support them through allowing them to front-run government policies on environment and things like this, by buying up farmland, by you know buying up uh, utilities and things like this. But there's a very dark side to this as well because in return, corporations are doing things for the government that the government is legally prohibited by our constitution from doing. And one of the most obvious cases of this is, is the Twitter scandal, that they are now, um, it's now come to light that Twitter had been colluding with the uh, Department of Justice and the FBI to censor political speech. Now, there is no speech that is more protected uh, under our Constitution than political speech, for good reason. But we are now seeing evidence that Twitter, at the request of the FBI, censored things like the, the Hunter Biden laptop story that was being uh, produced by the New York Post. Um, and so... This is an example of, of companies doing on the government's behalf 
what the government can't do. You know, another example is the one that I mentioned about about Bank of America data mining uh, people's accounts without a warrant or cause or any commission of a crime to see who traveled where and who bought what. Another example of that is um, credit card companies. So, for example, the federal government also is, is not allowed to um, you know, go through your accounts without probable cause. That's the Fourth Amendment. Uh, that's a fundamental right for us. But the government is also prohibited from creating or keeping databases of who owns firearms. Well, they've been able to get the credit card companies to do this for them. So they've created a merchant code for firearms, uh, American Express, Visa, and MasterCard. And they've done this with the explicit intention of tracking firearms purchases and handing this over to um, law enforcement at the Treasury Department um, to, to if they see any activity that, that, that they consider suspicious, which could be multiple purchases in, in different firearm stores or whatever they consider suspicious. So again, um, the documentary looks into what corporations are doing to become enforcers for, for the federal government and doing what the government can't do. Very interesting, but clearly the companies can maybe have a right to censor you, but when they partner with government, don't they both become guilty of violating the First Amendment? Yes, and th- this this is the case that's now being brought by some state attorney generals. Okay. So uh, Attorney General Landry in Louisiana and uh, also the Attorney General in Missouri have been bringing a case, making this exact argument, that if the government is compelling companies to do things, then that that process falls under the, all the constitutional prohibitions that prevent the government from acting in this way. So it's, it's government by proxy, and, and it should be illegal. Now, this case is being brought um, to date. You know, it's still in the discovery phase, but um, my hope is that this will you know, get some legs in 2023. And, you know, I was speaking with uh, Attorney General Landry about it uh, out of Louisiana. He's actually featured in our documentary. You know, his... his Hello? Kevin, did I lose you? Uh, sorry. Uh, can you hear me I can now? hear you now. Okay. We just had a little blip there. I'm sorry. You were talking about uh, Attorney General Landry? Yeah, he had said to us, so he's, he's featured in our documentary on this topic, and he said he expects that this will go all the way to the Supreme Court. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I just don't trust Justice Roberts. That's a whole other discussion for another time. Um, I'm not sure how they'll perceive that, but very interesting. Well, t- tell the audience how they can get a copy of your documentary. Sure. Um, so it's available for streaming. It's also available on DVD. Um, they can go to theshadowstate.com, and you can see it there. It's also free to all Epoch Times subscribers, so you can go to the Epoch Times, E-P-O-C-H-T-I-M-E-S, theepochtimes.com. Um, become a subscriber. I, I write frequently on this topic, as do other Epoch Times reporters. Um, so you get all of that as well, and, and you can watch the Shadow State for free. Yeah, it, it's. Um, I saw the trailer, and uh, it's very, very intriguing, and it's uh, it covers a lot of what we've talked about here, from what I understand from people I know that have seen it, and I do plan to watch it. But uh, unfortunately, the time between when we set up this interview and my schedule, I didn't have time to to pursue this. But it's highly recommended by people in my circle. Um, I just want to ask you an Elon Musk question before we go. My sense of Elon Musk, he grabbed Twitter and started uh, systematic, progressive revelations of sensitive material that's embarrassing to some groups and institutions. And I wondered how much of that is leverage because he seems to be given a diminished status on the world stage with people like Davos. How do you view that? Yeah, I think he, he definitely has become a, a black sheep. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, his, his ES scores, he's definitely being punished, you know, by the rating agencies for his behavior. You know, there, there's continual threats that he might be investigated for this securities violation or others. So he's getting veiled threats from the federal government as well. Um, because these the information that he's now made available to journalists um, you know, Barry Weiss and Michael Schellenberger and people like this, 
you know, is now coming to light. And it, it's hugely embarrassing for the federal government and for these former Twitter execs. And, and I would expect there will be congressional hearings on it now that the GOP is in control of the House. So I think there's going to be a lot more coming out in that space. Um, and at this point, you know, Musk doesn't even really seem to be pushing it that much. He's just kind of opened the books and, and let some journalists take over. Yeah, that's how I see it, too. And uh, But I see him as he continues to be, in his mind, discriminated against. He made up, up the ante in terms of what he releases. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we've been talking to Kevin Stockman. He's a writer-film producer for Evoc Times, and he has produced the documentary called Shadow State. We recommend it here at the Common Sense Show. And uh, I think it will help you really understand ESG, and uh, it goes way beyond what we talked about here in our interview. Kevin, I want to thank you for your time. A very interesting interview, and I love your organization. I think your group does great work. I appreciate that, Dave, and thanks very much for having me on. My pleasure. Take care. Take care. We at the Common Sense Show have a great TV show. We bring in a panel of experts to help people navigate the uncharted waters that we're living in. Because what once was coming is no longer coming. It's already here, and we're getting you the help so you can make better decisions for your future. You can find us at the TV, commercial-free, censorship-free, and we're getting five-star ratings on the world's major platforms. Again, check us out today at TheCommonSenseShow.tv. Every knowledgeable person knows that when you have gold, you've protected your wealth. But what if the government one day wanted to confiscate your gold so they can gain total control, knowing that one day the smoke will clear and gold will be perfectly available, and that's happened all throughout history. So what you need to do is, in the interim, hide your gold. You can do that by burying it. You can go down about 12 inches, and that's all you're going to need to do. And we have a product that we call BarryYourGold.com, and what it does is it goes into a container. You lower it in the ground with a hole you've dug up to 12 inches. It's a 50-year warranty on the device. It only weighs 17 pounds to pull it out of the ground, and you can keep it for safekeeping. And I'll tell you, this is the way to hide your gold, not in false walls, but underground will be very, very difficult to detect. To find out more, go to BarryYourGold.com. The product is fully guaranteed with a money-back guarantee.